Good afternoon. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Um, as you'll notice, I have no water this afternoon. Uh, I filled up, so that'll either make the service shorter. <laughs> Or we'll have to take a break. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> no, if I were to if I were to have to clear my throat or something, I apologize for that. Um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter nine tonight. Um, we're going to kind of be mentioning where we left off uh, last week in verse seventeen because I think the idea that we see there is going to is going to continue on in. Uh, and what we see in chapter 9. We're going to do our best to try to get through chapter 9 tonight. And I'm not trying to make the service insanely long. Um, That's not my hope at all. But um, we are like three or four uh, more services away from being finished with uh, Ecclesiastes, which I'm excited about, and I probably when we get there, I'll be a little saddened that, wow, we've, we've finished that whole thing, um, but I'm excited because after that, the plan is is that we go and, and spend some time in the book of Romans next, so this should, I hope, uh, as we wrap up Ecclesiastes, really, really, really make clear the truths of the gospel with this kind of as the backdrop that's been the that's been the plan up to this point um so i'm going to open us up in prayer um and then we will we'll we'll get started so let's pray lord i thank you for this day for your many wonderful blessings lord we are so undeserving Uh, you pour your mercy and your grace and your love out on us each and every day and lord how often do we take that for granted? How often do I find that I myself am taking for granted all the good things that you do? I pray that would not be the case for us. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes and our ears, that we would see the truth that your word presents to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, move in this church, that we would be emboldened by the truth of your word and what you've done for us, and that we would not be able to contain it within these walls, Lord, but that it would overflow in our workplaces and in our schools and in our families and in our community, Lord, and ultimately to all ends of the earth. Lord, I pray that that you would be moving in us uh, in such a way that that we would be uh, driven to fulfill the great commission that has been left before us. So with Christ as our focus, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move tonight uh, in our hearts that the truth of your word and specifically the vanity of of a, of a life lived solely under the sun with worldly pursuits and worldly desires and worldly uh, goals. Lord, I pray that that would not be for us, but that we would uh, 
see the vanity in that and that we would see how meaningless our lives would end up being and that instead you would lead us to greater things or that you would lead us to those things that you've prepared for us long ago. In Christ's name, amen. All right. I can already feel my mouth drying up, and I don't know if it's just a mental thing for not having the water. Um, We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be in verse 1 through the end. But what I want us to do first is I want us to reflect back on what we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 17. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of things here in chapter 9, and I want us to kind of kind of get this or remember where we left off last time because this is going to be important as far as just keeping our minds in the place that our minds should be as we examine this scripture. So 17 of chapter 8 says, And I realize that no one can ever discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. Right, So the idea that I want us to carry over tonight as we look at what we're going to look at tonight is that, that not even the wisest man has all the answers. Right, So one thing that I don't want you to, to think is that as I'm up here preaching and I'm presenting a lot, like one thing that I like to do is I like to make you think and one way that I'll do that is by, by presenting you with difficult questions, questions that oftentimes think myself as I'm going through scripture, hoping that it will cause you to maybe think about the text in a different way or look at God's word in a different way that maybe open your heart or open your mind so that the Holy Spirit can move, right? But one thing that I want to tell you is that I don't have all the answers, right? I don't have all the answers, I, I have faith because I don't have all the answers. Now, what I'm not telling you is that my faith is blind and that it's empty and that it's, that it's nothing but just blind faith. That's not what I'm saying at all. And what I hope that we've come to conclude at this point, we're now nine chapters into Ecclesiastes, is that we've been presenting what I believe to be an excellent argument for why there must be a God. Right? Because if there's not, what would the conclusion be? It's meaningless. It's meaningless and it's pointless. Right? And I think that as we live our lives, that that this becomes more and more evident to us. So it causes one of two things to happen. Either we start looking for that meaning, where can we find that, or we harden ourselves against it. Right? So I don't think that any of us are hardened against God, right? So what we're going to find here is that we don't have all the answers, but we know that there must be a God, not because it's empty hope upon hope, but because we have strong foundations in things that we know and can observe. And ultimately, fundamentally, when we get into the New Testament, what we find is that a man came back from the, the dead, right? Like that is the grounding place that all of us should start from. Uh, the the apostles, uh, Paul specifically, I believe, says if Christ is not risen. Then, I mean, we're the we're the saddest of all, right? 
Right? So I want us to keep I want us to keep those kind of things in mind because we're gonna we're gonna run into some things tonight. And and here's the truth is I think that a lot of times we've already likely run into many of these things in our lives. So we've faced these questions and we've faced we've we we've come to understand what we'll find here is that there's things that happen that baffle us. Right? Things that happen that baffle us, and we have absolutely no idea, no clue, and sometimes we may not ever be able to find the answer. Right? Sometimes we might find that those things that happen in our lives, we will never find the answer under the sun. And the only place that we could ever hope and place our faith to find the answer to that is that, it, is that we've placed our faith and our hope in God, right? So the way that I want us to kind of think about this as we, as we kind of dig into the Scripture tonight, and some of you may do this and some of you may not, but uh, I, I would it, put your Bible very close to your face or your phone if you've got your phone. Very, very, very close, right? We've got it up there really close. Can you read it? At all, I mean, does it even? It kind of looks like words, maybe, right? If it's according to how close you are, some of you may have to read like this, anyways. <laughs> I'm just teasing with you. I'm just teasing with you. All right. So when we've got it drawn up that close, we can't read it. We can't make any sense of it at all, can we? But as we pull it away, the words start becoming clear. And then some of us are here, some of us are like way back here, right? It, but at some point, we start to be able to see, well, we can make sense. There's words there. Now, what I want us to understand and what I want us to, to consider and think as we're going through this is that your life is lived like this, right? Your life is lived where you're right there in the mix of it, right? And oftentimes, you don't see the answers and we, we won't see the answers because we're not drawn back. We don't have that view that God has. God's ways, the uh, Scripture tells us, are higher than our ways, right? His thoughts higher than our thoughts. So when we get confused, it's because we're drawn in close. And, and maybe the, the truth is, is that we just don't see the picture as the big picture, because we don't have it in focus. And I'm not even telling you that within this life that you'll get it in focus. What I'm telling you is that it's quite possible that some of the things that happen to us in this life play out and stretch out far beyond our lifetimes. Right? It's quite possible that things happen today that are going to affect people for Christ long after we're gone. Right? And what I want us to understand is that we need to be good with that. We need to be good with not having all the answers. And God's Word tells us, and if we listen to it, 8.17, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. So with that in mind, let's dig in to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 1. This too I carefully explored, even though the actions of the godly and wise people are in God's hand, no one knows whether God will show them favor. Now some are, are going to read towards the end of that something like this, whether they will receive love or hate. Like, um, what do we have up there? The NIV? Whether love or hate. 
awaits him. Now, I want to point out one thing, and we're not going to go too much in depth into this, uh, but just kind of as a side note, the word hate here is used throughout the Old Testament. It tends to be rendered as hate. Um, but what I want us to understand is that the idea behind this is essentially the favor of God towards someone. And the version that I read out of here actually renders it whether God will show them favor. The word here that's translated in the NIV and in many others as the word hate is uh, sina, and it, the root word is sine, uh, and it's trans, it, this root word is used many other places. One other place, uh, just for the, for the sake of, uh, of looking at it, in Malachi, we find that when God is referring to nations as a whole and the way that he's shown favor to Israel, the root word that's, that's translated favor here, it's also in mine translated over here uh, as this idea of rejected. Uh, in Malachi chapter 1, the Lord here, here says this, I have always loved you, says the Lord, but you retort, really, how have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his heel and his country. Now, to understand that verse, and that verse will come again one day when we get into, over into the book of Romans, because that verse specifically is quoted by Paul in Romans. What I want us to understand here is that the two people that's talking about love and hate in Malachi are long since gone at the point in time that this writes this. And what God is pointing out here in Malachi, is that how he has shown favor to the nation of Israel. And the wording that is used here gets translated in some as love-hate, just like over here in some translations it will be translated love-hate. But really, the idea that you should get out of this is God's showing favor towards someone, right? Or some. So with that in mind, I want us to read this one more time and I want us to consider this. Verse, verse, or chapter 9, verse 1. This too I carefully explored, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hand, no one knows whether God will show them favor. So what's one truth that we can pull out of this immediately? Is that the actions of good, godly, wise people are where? In God's hands. So the thing that I want us to see here is that God's in control, right? God's in control. We get this same idea from the prior verse, 8.17, where it says we can't discover everything that God is doing. So the idea, this idea of God's sovereignty has been kind of stringing through this text here. And the same thing plays out here. The good or the godly and the wise their actions are in God's hands. Nevertheless, nevertheless, all right? And I want, us to underst- I want us to understand this because I think that you know it's true because you look and you see your life around you, right? And you've likely asked yourself the question, something to the effect of, I'm going through this either because I did something God didn't like, so... He's lost, I've lost favor with him, or those blessings will come when I find favor with him, right? So what I want you to understand here, 
What I want you to understand here is that, and we have to be, we have to be careful. We live, it seems as though we live in a culture to where if I say something like, just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean all your problems go away, that people get offended, right? Like, like you would rather hear me say something like, you just claim that, brother. It's in the cross. Claim that. And, and you'd be like, amen, all over the place. I mean, it's seriously though. And what I'm not saying is that we should not pray. You should pray and you should pray fervently. But I'm, I'm saying that some of you may die of cancer or heart attacks. You're going to die clearly from something. Right? Right? So, so for all those name that junk and claim that junk folks out there, I want to see you when you're 250 naming and claiming another day. What did we learn last time? Who's sovereign over the days of our lives? God is sovereign. And we're not going to step forward and we're not going to be able to claim one extra day from what He's named for us. Right, So I want us to understand this, because what happens is when we get in this idea and this mentality that all I must not be naming it and claiming it hard enough, then when we stay sick, or when it returns back to us, we feel like, well again, like I must have lost favor with God. And what do we find here? The godly's actions are in his hands. He's doing it. He's playing his plan out. Right? But, this does not mean that you'll never face hardship, you'll never face trials. And what I want us to get from this is that under the sun, what? It makes no sense whatsoever, right? It makes no sense whatsoever. But that's because we're looking to make sense of it here, right? We're looking to make sense of it where we're so drawn up close to the Word that we can't read it because it's blurry, or we're so close to the picture that we can't take in the magnificent work that God's doing, right? And I would love to be able to tell you that if you stay in God's Word long enough that you'll be able to draw so far back that you can see the majestic work. But what I'm telling you is the same thing that Scripture tells us here is that no one can discover that. You can't figure it all out. So we place faith in someone that that person has it figured out, right? And then we can rest on verses like uh, Romans 8, 28, because we know the God who works, right? And, And it's not based on whether or not we feel good about our stance with Him. Right? It's not whether I feel like my sin just bumped me out or not. Or maybe I just haven't asked hard enough. Or maybe my faith isn't strong enough. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, pray. And pray hard. But it could be that the prayer was not ever going to be answered. Moses was never going to go into the promised land. How do I know? Because he didn't. He didn't. Right? God has a plan and a purpose. And even in Moses, I want to picture, picture this with me. The, Jesus, Yeshua, the guy that walks the children of Israel into the promised land, translate Joshua, same name, right? So what we find is that God had always intended it to be Joshua taking people to the promised land, right? Because in that, it was a foreshadowing of what Christ would do. So 
Moses probably sitting up there on the mountain thinking, man, I shouldn't have hit that rock the other time. Right? And God's saying, I'd worked it. You're just going to hit that thing. Because right? Jesus is doing it. Right? Jesus is doing it. God's plan is bigger sometimes than what we what we see. And we should hope in Him and, and, and not in the circumstances. Right? So I think, I think that's a, that's a big deal because it seems like we're, we're looking oftentimes, we're looking, thinking that our relationship with God is going to determine our situation and circumstances as far as it being comfortable or good. And I, I, I want I'm not making that promise to you. Now, some of you it may. Right? Some of you it may. And to others it may not. There may be some here that are cured of cancer and some not. Right? There may, be, there may be some of you who die of heart attacks and some of you who live to be like 100 or 110. What, you know, you may live really long life, right? And some of you may not make it past the day. Like, So there's a lot to be thought about and considered in that verse 2 let's continue on the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone whether righteous or wicked good or bad ceremonially ceremonially clean or unclean religious or irreligious good people receive the same treatment as sinners and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't okay now ultimately ultimately we know that everybody dies, right? Truth. Whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you keep your promises, whether you don't, whether you are ceremonially clean or unclean, whether you live according to the law or you fail to live up to the law's standards, every single one's dying, right? So that's there, right? So you, you clearly, you, ultimately, everyone Dies. Uh, another thing that we're going to see, because it's going to really, I think, be made clear when we get down to verse 11, but this is kind of the idea through this whole thing. Kind of when I think about it, we, we talked last time about justice for the, for the wicked, and this time what we're looking at really is, is, is what comes out to me is almost like a, I find in myself it, 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 it seems to fit kind of the category of of self-righteous fairness for me, right? So this is how it would tend to come, is, is that when we think that the good things or the bad things that happen to us in this life are determined by the way that we act or don't act towards God, right? Then when hard times come, we'll draw to Him. And, and, and what happens if hard times continue to come? Right? When, when, when our hope was in drawing to Him so that the hard times would be removed. And, and ultimately what we find in that is that there's a self-glorification or self-fulfilling that we want in that. Right? There's this self-centeredness to it. Right? Like, what can God do for me? Right? And it ultimately leads to us living our lives in such a way as that it's focused entirely on us and what we can get out of religion, or what we can get out of church, rather than why have we been called, right? 
Why are any one of you believers in Christ? Right? Because you were enemies, right? You were enemies. Go read Romans chapter 3. You were enemies, and not one of you sought God. Go, again, go read the text, right? Not one of you are righteous. Not one of you could demand from Him grace. Yet Christ came. Christ is the initiator. He came for us. We didn't look for Him. He came for you, right? If you, any one of you who believe, believe because the Word was presented to you, whether you picked it up and read it yourself, or whether someone preached the Word faithfully to you and the Holy Spirit drew you, right? Why did He do that? What was the purpose in that? Was it self, to, so that He could self-fulfill you? What was the purpose in it? What was the reason? And I'm asking, I'm asking these questions because ultimately I think the state of the heart that asks the, and, and, and that, that, that looks at this particular kind of view of the world that we're gonna, that we're gonna see is one that really kind of prevails. And I don't wanna just say us, but I'm just saying kind of our, probably our just culture as a whole, which is where we've shifted the focus so much that when I say something like that God saved you for Himself, that it sounds to you like that's selfish of Him. And when I say that He saved you so that you could bring glory to His name, then you think, well, what about me? Right? Well, it's not about you. Right? It's not. It's not about you. Right? It's not about you. And, and, the, and because we think it is, that's why this world makes no sense to us. Because we can't make of sense of suffering because it's self-centered and I couldn't suffer for anything good. Right? I can't endure any kind of trouble or trial and it be any part good. Because I don't like it. Right? Now the question is, is out of suffering, can goodness come? Amen, it can. Amen, it can. I've seen it among you. I've seen it in myself, in my own life. So yes, it can. Absolutely. Right? And that's not to say that everything that happens to us, that's suffering, or that's trials, or that's troubles, that we will immediately know why. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, that not one thing was misplaced in the work of God. And not one thing. And when we doubt that, when we question that, we're questioning Him. Right? We're questioning Him. So let's, let's keep that in mind. So the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, clean, unclean, religious, irreligious, good Bad, sinners, those who make promises or not. We've, we find in this life, and this is where the self-righteous unfairness comes in, is, is that I find myself, if I feel as though I'm doing everything that I should, and things aren't going my way, that I look at you, and I, and I say to myself, I'm, 
I'm better than them, and I'm doing better than them, and I'm working harder than them, and, and yet still I, I find myself struggling, and it looks like they've got it so easy. Right? Or, or you look up here, and you say, that guy's got it together. He, he's got everything figured out. He is working hard. He is working hard, and, and he is a good person. Right? And, and he's got it all together. And that's, that's why. That's why. When the truth is, if we look at the world with those eyes, ain't nothing going to seem fair. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look out there and I'm going to see liars and I'm going to see cheaters and they're going to be getting ahead. And then now here it is. I, I'm, I'm called to be honest. I'm called to be upright. How am I supposed to get ahead at work? Because it would, it would be so much easier if I made everybody else's work look horrible so that mine looked good and then I stepped on people along the way. So why is it that God does any blessing of anyone who would sin? Why does anyone have any blessings here on earth? Because it would appear that those who sin the most have the most. Lord, how is that fair at all? Is that, is that not the way that we look at it? Is that not the way that we, that we think? Yet what we find is that God lets rain come on both the just and the unjust. To us, it makes no sense whatsoever. Why would, why would the Christians be the one martyred? Right? We think, from this point of view, Lord, I could do it much better. Right? Me drawn way up close, not able to see this work that you're doing. And would cast judgments because I could have done it better and I sure would have done it a different way and I think that it would have ended up better. Yet we fool ourselves because we can't see all that He's doing. So let us consider that maybe what He's doing is bigger than just you. Right? I want us, yeah, so much bigger. So I, I want us to consider that. When we see things that we would say fair or unfair, it's not because they're better than you. Sometimes, sometimes, and this is what we're gonna, this is what we're gonna see here. Or if, if you were to go on down to 11, and what we're gonna find is that sometimes when we look at the way that this world works apart from the sovereign working of God, do you know what we find? That really, at the end of the day, it turns out to be chance and good timing, right? And that would, that would sum up the way that the world views us, right? That all that we are as human beings are just the products of give us enough time and enough chance, and here we are. Right? And we think that these worldviews or these ideas are somehow new. And Solomon's dealing with these things way back when. So let's push forward. Verse 3. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers 
the same fate. That's why people are no more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. I want to read this again. What's tragic? What's the end here? What's the fate that we all have? Death and along the way, you're not the only one thinking it's unfair. Right? You're not the only one looking out and saying, I think I could have done it a little differently. But really what I want us to think about is when we're saying that, what we're really saying is that I really could have done it differently so it would turn out good for me. Right? Right. The me factor there. All right? So tragic that we end in the same fate. Now, I want you, we're going to look back. I want to, I don't want to point us there yet. I want to see if anybody remembers this, but uh, I want you to see if anything jumps out as strange as we read down through verse four. That is why people are, so the last part of three there, that is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course where they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living. Now, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to ask you, if anything along the way that we've been studying up to this point, does this jump out as you as strange? And this is, this is another reason, I think, that I, w- I would like for you, as you study God's Word, that you would sit and that you would spend time going through and not just cherry-pick verses or chapters or particular passages of text that, that, that you are familiar with, but that you take the writings of these authors as a whole and consider what they're saying, because if you do, here's, here's, here's what you'll find. So I'm going to read first that verse, all right? So for there is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Now I want us to look back. So it's better for who? This verse. It's better for who? The living? Oh, really, Solomon? Because we were paying attention over in chapter 4 when you said, verse 4, 1, Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless, helpless. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. Okay, okay, now I'm confused. Let's read on, maybe we'll get some clarity. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they've not seen all the evil that's done under the sun. So, follow me here. Chapter 4, better for what? To be dead. Chapter 9. There is hope only for the living. Better for who? Living. Now I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna make sense of these. And I want, first, context matters. All right, context matters. The second thing that I want to tell you here is that that n- nothing. And this should be clear up to this point. Nothing makes sense if our view of the world and the way that everything works is fixed under the sun. All right. Nothing makes sense. At all. And both of these statements are true. Because life itself is meaningless. If all that we have is what's found under the sun. So I want us to first consider what we were considering 
back in chapter 4, and this was oppression. So when we consider life and we consider everything that happens in this life and, and how much evil happens and how much pain happens at the hands of under other individuals, then what we find is that to live this life is to suffer in this life. Right? That to live is to suffer. So if all we have in this life is what's found under the sun, then what is this life worth? Nothing. Alright? Now let's flip over. Let's flip over to chapter 9. And let's consider, let's consider the living. We're continuing. We've been considering the living up to this point. But let's, con- let's continue this. And let's think about death. And what is there in death? No hope in death. So there's no hope in life. No hope in death. Now this should sound... Very, 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 very wrong. Right? Because as Christians, what do we have? We have hope in life and hope in death. Right? We have hope in both. Right? But that is because there is, in fact, something beyond the sun. Right? So as we read this book and as we consider this book and when we run into these places that are just absolutely confusing, let us understand that this points us to something else. That it should be driving us to the understanding that to make sense of these things, we must step beyond the sun. Right? We must step beyond what this world has to offer and open our minds up because in that, sense is made. Right? In that sense is made. So I want us to keep that in, keep that in mind. Let's continue reading uh, 9 verse 5. Uh, and this is continuing the, the thought or the idea that it's, that it's better, that there's only hope for the living because truth, church, that for anyone who's lived a life based solely with views and eyes set and fixed on things under this world, it is utterly hopeless. Right? Utterly hopeless. Because at least while they are alive, we can present them hope. Right? Now this is important. I want you to understand this. So if their hope in life is going to be dependent on whether or not the gospel is presented to them, and we're in fact not presenting the gospel to them, then what hope do they have? None. So without the presentation of the gospel of Christ, what hope is there for the world? None. So as Christians who have found hope, what should our ultimate purpose for life be? The presentation of the gospel in every aspect of our lives. In the successes, in the failures, in the healings, and in the sufferings unto death. You are presenting the gospel. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? Do you? Do you, under, do you understand that? I, I want us to. I want this to click for us. Because if this clicks for us, then we cannot be a people that sit on pews and do nothing. 
Because every aspect of who we are will be about presenting the gospel. And it will transform the way that we look at this world. So that when we see successes for us, we show the world success means nothing without Christ. Right? When, when we step up on the big stage and we've won, it's not a vain, I thank God for this, but it's everybody that knows us, knows how sick and tired they are of us, getting down on our knees and praying to God because that's what we are and that's what we're about. Right? And that's when we're laying on our deathbed, no hope in this world, yet you look at us and all you see is hope. Because our hope is not in this world. And the gospel is presented in our lives, in the way we conduct ourselves. And that's important because what you should be hearing in this is that we conduct ourselves in a way worthy of what we've been called in our lives to do. Right? So what we're doing matters. What we're doing is, is important. The living at least know they will die, verse 5, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. This is a common refrain throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. This idea of enjoying life, right? Just make the best of it. It's kind of the tagline there, right? Make the best of it. And, and I want to tell you that if all you had was what was found under the sun, then that would be all that anyone could say to you is that make the best of this world. That's all you got, right? Make the best of it. It's all you got. But church, I, w- I want to tell you something. Is, is It's not all you have, and it pales in comparison to what you do have pales in comparison in such a way as that you would risk everything for what's coming, right? Like Jesus puts it like this, and this is paraphrasing Jesus, but, but he says that the kingdom of heaven is, is like uh, a piece of land, and, and you're on this piece of land, and you find a great treasure. And upon finding this treasure, it is a treasure you could work lifetimes upon lifetimes and, and never, never make this. What would you do? I know what every one of you would do because it's the same thing I would do. I would cover it up quite nicely. You would not see that I'd been there. I would go and I would sell everything that I had to buy that piece of land. And that's what he said you would do. And your friends would look at you and they would say, that's a little risky. Right? There's not anything nice on that land. <laughs> you know, It doesn't look like you could do a good farm there, Landon. There's no water sources nearby. Like, that's a long way from work, dude. What are, you, what are you thinking? And the whole time I'm thinking, money in the bank, man. Money in the bank. I'm glad y'all don't see what I see here. Because I'm about to be rich. <laughs> right? That's what you would do. 
You would sell everything because you know. Now, the question is that we should ask ourselves from that parable, have you not discovered that? Have you not discovered that treasure that's worth risking everything for? Have we not? Because if we haven't, make the best of it. Right? If we haven't, make the best of it. Eat, drink, make the best of it. Death's coming for you. Do the best you can between here and then. Because meaningless, meaningless life or meaningless death. Right? It's all that you have to look forward to. But we have hope in something greater. And it should, if we understand that, if that clicks for us, it should cause us to realize, what is it risking, really? Like if you had a six-sided die that had all sixes and somebody told you they would roll a, or if you rolled a six that they would give you a million bucks, is a risk. So what's our risk, Christians? What's our risk? That you, that you die? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Whether or not you play the game or not, you die. Every one of you. Every one of you. It's coming for you. So don't let that be an excuse. Don't let fear of death be an excuse for why you didn't move. Right? Because death's coming for everybody. So what are we risking? What are we giving up? We're giving up everything, which means nothing. Right? That's why we should have been coming to the conclusion. Is that all that we give up is nothing in comparison of what it is that we're gaining. So where does all the fearfulness and timidness come from? What in the world are we doing and not doing anything? Verse 9. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you. What does the other one say? Tell me it says something different. It doesn't. I want want to see if we can make sense of this. Because as I read this, I'm thinking, Lord, you could spend a whole other message on that. Let's, Let's read that. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God... I want. I laugh when I when I see this. But how many of you men and and this applies to both sexes here? This the idea that comes out of this is a generalized idea, right? So live happily with the woman you love through what the meaningless days of your life. <laughs> Let's say that one quick. Yeah, yeah, we could get some labor in this thing. Like, this is work, right? So, what, what, what? This shouldn't be hard at this point, though. I'm, I, I'm not gonna wait too long, just in case. I don't, y'all. I know y'all don't want to answer, <laughs> guys. Y'all don't, wanna, y'all don't want to answer. Y'all are scared. Don't be scared. I just said, what do we got to be scared? Of? 
Yeah, you have to go home with each other. Here's the here's the point to be made here. Is that the relationship this life's about relationships, right? Like as Christians we should be making relationships and, and we should be showing God through those relationships and, and the most important relationship for a married individual is the relationship with a spouse. If you derive meaning, and I'm saying this to the men and I'm saying this to the women, if you derive meaning from your spouse, where do you end up? Meaninglessness. Live happily. But it's not injecting meaning into your life. Right? A relationship lived without Christ at the center, meaningless. But I think we need to be, and this is, uh, we're, this is why we're spending just a couple of minutes on this, is because the thing that we are so, and I, man, I'm going to say this, and then it's going to be, so, I'm going to go outside and it's going to, somebody's going to have it on their license plate or something. If you do, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You'll see things like, you see it mostly with kids. The same thing applies with kids. And again, if you if you got it, man, I'm not, I don't judge you. <laughs> <laughs> just see like like something that'll be like such and such mom or such and such as dad and, or or I'm the pastor's wife, right? Like we identify ourselves by our spouse, eh, meaningless. Babe, don't ever <laughs> define yourself by me. Don't do it. You know me well enough. <laughs> you of all people, <laughs> don't do it. We should not be defined by our spouse. Who you are is more than that. Right? We are co-laborers for the same Purpose and meaning. So my meaning's not coming from her, and I love her tons. Love you, tons. And I know you love me a ton. I hope. <laughs> I'll check after the sermon tonight. <laughs> but if I'm defining who I am by her and not by something beyond the sun, then the same truth stands: meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. You're not going to find it in what you do. You're not going to find it in your spouse, your job, your successes. It's not going to be found there. Let's continue with the rest of that verse. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Verse 10, whatever you do, do well. This is big. For when you go to the grave, there will be no more, or there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So there's two things that we're going to get out of this. First is that you can work hard. Under the sun be your focus. At the end of the day, we know what's going to happen. You're going to die. Right? And that's... Y'all smile when I'm preaching... And I'm thinking, y'all know the answer at this point because I'm thinking, these should be hard ones for you to get. 
Like, it's a whole lot of talking about death, and I see smiling folks. That's awesome, because when we get to, y'all think that's good, you just wait till we get over to Romans, man. We really start digging in. It's going to be awesome. So we could work, and whatever we did, we could do it well under the sun and still find it meaningless. But if we're going to work hard, and we're placing our eyes beyond the sun, should we still not do it well? Right? Right? So what I'm telling you is, is that God has given each and every one of us something that we're passionate about. Right? Something that we can do. You may be saying, no, He hasn't. And I'll say, well, think again, because he has, right? You may think you're an appendix, and there's no use for you in the body of Christ, and then science will show you that, well, in fact, the appendix is useful for something, right? You are part of a body of believers that God is using. So, yes, there's something you can do. And I I, I like what Dustin brought up. And you can go read the Old Testament to confirm it time and time again. It was a whole bunch of people much older than most of you who were doing. So it's, it's not about I'm too old to do it now. Because you're not. You're not. Do it till you're in the grave. Serve till you're in the grave. I'm encouraging you to this. And I know many of you are. And I want to tell you, keep serving. Keep doing. Don't think you're getting too old for it. Your knees don't work like they used to. Your back don't work like it used to. Keep serving. Right? Keep serving. Do it well. Work hard at it. This is good. It's good. So, let's continue on. Verse 11. I've observed, and this is this idea is just a continuation, and it gives more support here. I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful will not ne- not are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It's all decided by chance, by being at the right place at the right time. Verse twelve: People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap. People are caught. By certain or by sudden tragedy. So the, we've we've been talking this this whole time. We we see here again the fastest runner doesn't always run, doesn't always win. So if you run fast, right, and and you know you run fast and 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 you lose, what does that say about you? Does it say you're slow? Well, you may have been slower than somebody. What does this say? The fastest runner. Right? So just because you're good, just because you're fast, just because you're smart, 
Just because you're successful, those are not the deciding factors on whether or not you will succeed. And ultimately, even if you did, under the sun, meaningless, worthless, right? So when we run, why do we run? It's who we run for. It's who we run for. We run to finish, right? We run to finish. And we understand that under the sun, the successes and the failures and the disappointments in this world, from this worldly point of view, may look un... We may have no idea why. It may look like just pure chance. But let us remember that we're looking at it like this. We're looking at it very close. We're not seeing the big picture, right? What looks like chance to us in eternity will be made clear that it was the providence of God working, right? We trust in this. Not because we trust in successes, not because we trust in whether or not we win every time, but because we trust in one beyond all of that for which every action that we do derives its meaning, right? So when we run, we're running like we... I mean, who? I'm not telling you run like you want to lose. I'm telling you run like you want to win. And you should run like you want to win, whether or not you think you're going to win or not, right? You run like you're going to win, whether or not you're in first place or you're in last place, whether or not you see no one in front of you, or whether or not you're the last one off the starting line. You run because you're motivated not by the success. You're motivated by something else. You're doing a cancer run or walk or what? You're not. How many of you have ever done something like that? Like the walk for something, right? We got we got some. If you won or lost, does it matter? No. Why? Because you ultimately wasn't doing it for whether you won or lost, right? When we live this life, we're living this life not because in that success I'm making a name for myself. Because whatever comes from it, the gospel is spewing out of my life in it. Right? And sometimes, and quite often in fact, it seems that the gospel is made more clear in our inadequacies than it is in our strengths. Right? Oftentimes, it's about the getting back up. Right? It's about the going after it still. Like, we like those stories like Rudy, where it's, it's about the heart, right? It's about the heart. Like facing all kinds of adversities, you still go, right? And ultimately, that's why we go. We have a heart for it. Whatever may come, whatever may come, we're going to run. So we're going to end with, uh, I'm just going to kind of read through this, uh, the last part of chapter 9, and then we're going to uh, just read through uh, some text in Ephesians that kind of, I think, 
I think, highlights this. So uh, just going to read through the last part of chapter 9 here. Uh, and this is kind of a, this is a story that I think kind of sums up the ideas that we've been talking about this far. So 13, here's another bit of wisdom that impressed me as I've watched the way the world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor wise man knew, excuse me, knew how to save the town, and so it was rescued. But after one, afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they're poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. So I want us to, to think for a moment about this wise, poor individual. Right? I want us to think about why would he do what he's doing? Why would he go? What is he trying to do? He wants to save the town. Exactly. He wants to save not the buildings or the walls, but the people. So he does what he does. Now, based on the heart of a man, what comes after would matter. Right? So this man... In spite of being wise and wisdom is being lifted up here is a good thing, will be forgotten. Right? This man will be forgotten. So, what matters about what he's doing? The purpose for doing it, the motivation for doing it. It's people. Right? It's people for God. It better be. Right? So I want us to understand that that should be our motivation, right? Our name will be forgotten, and that is okay. It should be. It should be. Because while we're doing it, it's not so that we get a plaque or a statue, right? We're, we're not trying to glorify our own names. As we go to save people, we want to glorify God in it whose name will never be forgotten. Because he will see to it that his name is not forgotten. Right? So we will be forgotten, church. We will be forgotten. Given enough time, there's not going to be anybody alive that knows you. And we've, we've kind of surveyed to see who knows great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, in a past one, and there was like maybe a handful of you that had been to Ancestry.com or something. But the rest of you, you don't even know who your family is. So in that, what hope do you have? Right? Let it, let it open our eyes to the fact that we'll be quickly forgotten. So we'd better not be living for our own name's sake. Because you can't even live. You, you, if I said like 500 years ago, richest man, name, name him. Richest man to ever live 500 years ago. Like 200 years ago. Do we? I don't, I don't know. Maybe somebody knows. 200. I'm going to eventually get close enough to somebody knows. 100 years ago. Yeah. I was thinking possibly. Yeah, possibly. 
Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Point is, if the richest is not going to be remembered, the poorest will be forgotten in his own town. So, I, I say this to say that that what motivates us should be people for the glory of God. Not people for the glory of Mount Carmel. Not people for the glory of you or me. But people for the glory of God. Because in heaven it's going to be His name that's lifted up and not our own. Right? So wisdom is good and we should be wise to know that it's His name that we should be glorified in all that we do. Right? Let's go over and look really quickly in Ephesians. Um, I would tell you read all of Ephesians, um, but we're going to look specifically uh, verse 4 through verse 10, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 3. So, uh, And this is closing, um, so we'll, we'll close in prayer after this. Um, but God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. So it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God... This is, man, I want y'all to pay attention to this. So God can point to us in all future ages. So God can point to us, church. God can point to us. There's a lot to be said in this. I want you to think about this, that for all future ages, God is going to be pointing at the church. Right? So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us. So when He points to us, what is He doing? He's glorifying His name. Right? He's glorifying His name in the pointing to us. We're a reflection of His grace. Man, that's amazing to consider. Amazing to think about. The incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Verse 10, pay close attention to this. For we are God's masterpiece. Who is? Us. Together. Right? Us together. Now can we see that full masterpiece and what it looks like? No. Not now. We can't see it. Right? We can't see that full masterpiece. But it's good because it's not us building that masterpiece. Right? It's God who's building it because it's God's masterpiece. Let's continue on. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? 
God has done this. God has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And here's, here's the kicker. He did it for a reason. Right? He did it for a reason. And it wasn't us sitting here. Right? So I want you to pay attention to this. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Now, I want us to step back for just a second and consider this. Your life, God has set out before you and He's planned all the successes and victories and failures and martyrdoms that are to come for us for His purpose, for His glory. He's done this. This should, this should cause something within us to stir. That says, well, if God's laid the plan for me, then why am I not walking in it? Why am I not stepping out in that? That's the question that I want us to be considering. Right? We are God's masterpiece. For His glory. And He's planned our steps, church. He's planned our steps. And again, I ask, where is place for fear in that? Where is it? There is none. Verse 10 of chapter 3, and this is it, I promise. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is His eternal plan which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. This plan, I want to let you in on something here. It's successful already right it's successful already we've won in Christ already let's fill in by playing our part this masterpiece right let's step forward in this so that God's church that's what this all of this is about You're here today for God's purpose in fulfilling His church. And I'm not talking about just sitting people in pews here. But that would likely be the result of being successful at what He's called us to do. Right? It wouldn't be the purpose that's driving us in that because we want to see all the pews filled up. Right? So that Mount Carmel's name could be lifted high. We're going out... In everything that we do, whether it's our lives in our workplaces, or whether it's knocking on doors, or whether it's going to other countries, whatever, whatever, we're doing it because we, we know we will be successful in it. Because it's God's plans and God's purposes. So let's do it. And you don't need to be organized into this. Step one, when you go to work tomorrow, do it. 
right? In everything that you do, you should be living for the glory of God in it, right? You don't need a Tuesday night visitation to take food to somebody that's sick. God says, take food to somebody that's sick. And you say, well, I can stop by Walmart on my way home. Right? You don't have to have somebody to group you together. You can start now. You can. You can. And some of you are already. I thank you for that. And I look forward to what God is continuing to do in us as a church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another amazing day. Thank you for the life that you've given to us. Lord, let us not waste it. Lord, it can be so easy. Lord, and, and, and I'll be the first to admit that, that I'm far from perfect. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us to work hard at it, that you would teach us that we don't work for righteousness, but we have been made righteous, and from that, works flow. So let us be hard workers for you. Let us be faithful servants for you. Lord, I ask that you would move. Lord, I ask that you would move in me and in my family. I ask that you would move in this church and in this community. Lord, and even as I... Lord, even as I ask that, Lord, my spirit says he is already. Lord, I know that you are. I know that you are moving. Lord, I pray that we would be swept away by it. It's in Christ's name.